Last week we started this series, uh, God Questions, with this question, where is God? Where is God? And we're looking at these big questions that people have about God and wrestle with them. That question, where is God, that we covered last week, is a question that creeps into all of our minds in the darkest times. Because evil exists. There's no way around it. And evil prompts us to look at the, look for the creator of the world. When we see this evil, our reaction is to say, where is God? So if you missed that, go check that out and watch that one. You can go and uh, download the CBC app and watch that inside the app. Or you can go to the website and do that as well. But I encourage you, if you missed that one, go back and watch that, not just for your own benefit, but to be able to explain that to people, because this is a question that is out there right now. But let's rewind and go back a little bit to this foundational question today. Who is God? Who is God? Now, is God just a clone of the Greek gods like this picture shows, right? With a long beard and a six-pack and a lightning spear, it took forever to pose for this while they were painting it. Uh, but I think they captured me. But is that what God looks like, right? Is it just in our mind, this guy floating around in the clouds, ready to hurl spears down at people? Let's look at what God's word says about God in Genesis 1.1. I don't know why I do that. You're all just picturing me in that pose right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the start of it all. He is the beginning. He is the uncaused cause of all things. He is before all things. He is the only constant. See, the Bible doesn't even argue for the existence of God. It just states it, in the beginning, God. And that makes sense, because even now, according to a 2017 Pew Research Center study, only 10% of Americans believe that there is no higher power. So it makes sense to start with that God exists, in the beginning, God, and just start with who he is. God is the supreme being, the creator and ruler of all that is, the self-existent one who is perfect in power and goodness and wisdom. John 4.24 tells us that God is a spirit. He isn't bound by the physical world. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three unique beings in one. 1 Timothy 1.17 tells us that God is immortal, eternal. 2 Samuel 7.22 tells us that God is like no other. Malachi 3.6 tells us that God doesn't change. Psalms 139 tells us that God exists everywhere. Isaiah 4.28 tells us that there is no way to even measure his vast wisdom. Revelation 19.6 tells us he is almighty. He is all powerful and has all authority. This is who God is. Bruce Shelley says that there are two things to remember when we think about God. And the first is this, that he is unlike us. 
He is unlike us. He is beyond us. He is not a human being and human beings are not God. God transcends us. But the second thing to remember about God is this. God is like us. He is also uh, he is like us. He formed the universe and then created man and woman in his own image. He made us in his image so that we might be in relationship with him. Humans have the potential to know God and to share his purposes. He is not only beyond us, but he is also present with us. He is like us, but he is also beyond us. The prophet Jeremiah addresses the fact that God is both present with us and yet beyond us. In Jeremiah 23, 23, it says, Am I only God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in the secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill up the heavens and the earth? See, God is both veiled in mystery and also actively revealing himself. He has revealed himself in many ways, not only through his son, Jesus Christ, but also through the design and order of this world. See, we live in a world of laws, the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics, the law of motion. And the existent uh, laws denote a law giver. The universe is fine-tuned in a way that brought forth life. The atmosphere has the perfect mix of gases, the perfect distance from the earth to the sun so as not to be too hot and too cold. The water cycle that purifies water that we can drink and drops it on crops so that we can eat. Even avowed atheist Sir Fred Hoyle said this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as chemistry and biology, and there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. Even a skeptic has to admit that the universe seems to be designed. Life is infinitely complex. We're still learning treasure troves of data about the smallest things on our planet. Cells, genetics, DNA, and yet there are galaxies and galaxies of more information. The fingerprints of God, the fingerprints of a creator are all over creation. And this is why we're not against science, because the more that we learn about creation, the more that we see how amazing the creator is. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God made all of this, and God made it with a purpose. This is not an accident. Biologist Edwin Conklin said that the probability of life originating from an accident is comparable to the probability of an unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a print shop. There is purpose to this life. And every human life has purpose and values because it's created in the image of God. And yes, that includes unborn babies, but that also includes the senior in the nursing home and the hungry child not receiving food on the weekends and the minority with cancer that can't pay for chemotherapy. God breathed life into each of these and loves each and every one of them. They are made in his image. 
Psalms 139.14 says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, God is not just creator that is beyond us with ways that are above our ways, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful, and all places simultaneously. But God is a father that is unbelievably near to us. God is not just a force. He is a person that can relate to us and we to him. Now, in a general sense, he is very near to us even right now. We would have no beginning without him. And he also sustains us right now. This machine that we live in called the human body doesn't make sense without God. A couple of cells come together and then we have a baby and the baby grows and it's born from a mother. Soon it walks, it talks, it learns, it gets a job, gets married and has kids of its own. What? It doesn't make any sense. See, just because something is common doesn't mean it's not wonderful. It's amazing even right now that we all sit in a room with air pumping through our lungs, oxygenating our blood that's forced through our veins, and so we are alive. It's a miracle. God is near you right now, holding all of that together. None of this makes sense without Him. See, you can ignore God, but you cannot avoid Him. Psalms 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that means death, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is unbelievably near to you today. C.S. Lewis said uh, that you may ignore but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. God is everywhere and he is near you right now. Now we must avoid two errors when speaking of God. One is the error of pantheism, right? That God is in everything or everything is God. The carpet, the tree, my shoe. But we must also avoid the error of deism, which treats God like an absentee landlord that started this whole thing and then went back to sleep. Now, God is a very present help in time of trouble. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own uh, poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. But... Because God is his own person and because God is beyond us and yet near to us and because his ways are higher than our ways, he sometimes does things that we don't like. Bruce Shelley says God sometimes comes not to comfort but to confront. And because who, of who God is, he can do that. He can set the rules and I must follow them. Now, if God wasn't good, that would be dangerous. That could cause great harm to us and great suffering to innocent people. But there are three attributes about God that should comfort you when thinking about his supreme rule as king of all kings. And the first is this. God is love. 
Who is God? God is love. In the Old Testament, one time God wanted to show us how much he loved us, so he told the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. And God told Hosea to lavish her with love. And this woman cheated on him and left him and she ended up in slavery. But God told Hosea to buy her back and to love her once more. This is our story. See, God's love is free and God's love is abundant. And even though we turn our backs on him, he keeps pursuing us. God's love is unconditional and without reason. Love is not just what he does. Love is who he is. God is love. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Scottish minister Henry Scogel says, God has long contended with a stubborn world. And thrown down many a blessing upon them. And when all his other gifts could not prevail, he at last made a gift of himself. Who is God? God is love. Who is God? God is faithful. See, faithfulness is proven when love is tested. The vows of a marriage are a commitment to faithfulness, a promise of for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as they both shall live. This pressing through when things aren't easy is what faithfulness is. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. God's covenant promises to us are not just like a waiver that you sign without reading. No, it's a bond between a father and a child or a husband and a wife. It's strong. It's unbreakable. God will not forget you because God is faithful. Isaiah 49, 15 compares it to a mother and her infant baby. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And if a good mother remembers and is faithful to her child, how much more faithful is a good God? Norman Smith says, wonderful as his love for his covenant people, his steady persistence in it is more wonderful still. The most important of all the distinctive ideas of the Old Testament is God's steady An extraordinary persistence in continuing to love wayward Israel in spite of Israel's insistence on waywardness. And he loves his church just the same. He is persistent. Humans get bored in relationship. They get selfish. They get jealous. They lose interest. They give up. But God is faithful. His love persists. Who is God? God is righteous. Now, righteous is not just like a synonym that means like holier than thou. No, righteous means to set things right. Another word for it is justice. God is relentlessly against injustice and the oppression of human beings. God is righteous and he sets things right. 
See, sin is a problem because it hurts people and the consequences of sin hurt the sinner and those around him. And God is both loving and faithful and this motivates his righteousness. They're all intertwined. And that's why God made commandments and kept us from things that he calls sin is because these are guardrails to keep us from things that hurt us and things that hurt other people. Every single sin is to keep you and someone else from pain. Psalms eleven seven says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds and the upright shall behold his face. We fall short of the righteous standard that God sets. But his faithfulness and love motivated him to uh, make a way for us to get to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Our righteousness was insufficient. So Jesus gifted us his righteousness. And if we're followers of Jesus, we have now have this constant access to God through the Holy Spirit. But see, God also wants us to be concerned with righteousness as well. It's part of our calling to go about setting things right in the world. Psalms 35.10 says, My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy for those who rob them. God is concerned with setting things right because sin hurts the people that he made in his image. And he is a faithful and a loving father. So who is God? God is beyond us. God is the supreme being, the creator and ruler of all that is the self-existent one who is perfect in power and goodness and wisdom. He is beyond us and yet God is near us. We are made in his image so that we might have a relationship with him. And even when he seems absent, the world is crowded with God. God is both veiled in mystery and also actively revealing himself. God is loving and faithful and righteous. And we see that no more than in the picture of Jesus. And his purpose for us and his will for you is to be loving and faithful and righteous too. Loving people, not giving up on them and and going out and setting things right in the world. This is who God is. And he's present with you right now. He made you and you have value and a purpose. Why? Because you are his bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's take a minute to just marinate in this picture of who God is. He's beyond us. Think about the biggest thing that you can possibly think about in the world and then multiply it by infinity and you haven't yet even scratched the surface of who God is and how powerful He is. And yet He is near us. He's holding your molecules together right now. 
He's holding the world in orbit. And even though he's that big, he came and wrapped himself in flesh to walk and live a perfect and a holy life. Why? Because of these small, little people like you and me. We had rejected God, and we had disobeyed God, and we had run from God. And if it was me, I might have given up. If I was God, I might have said, well, I'll just start over. But instead, he walked among us. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Not only did he come and and suffer and was hungry and went through all the things that we do, the hard type of days that we have, But then he let a bunch of those little, small human beings whip him and mock him, put a crown of thorns on his head, call him a king facetiously, sarcastically, tell him to prove himself. And they hung him on a cross. They mocked him with the tongues that he had made, with the breath that he had given them. As he actively held them together, as they rejected, embarrassed, insulted him. And then he died. wasn't an accident, it was always the plan, so that he might bring you to him. Because of his justice and his righteousness, couldn't fellowship with sin, couldn't be around it. So he paid the punishment, he paid the price, so that you might be declared innocent. He became a sin who knew no sin. So that we might become the sons of God. God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what he did for you. Because God is love. God is faithful. And God is righteous. How can you not love a God like that? How can you not live for a God like that? How can you not pursue a relationship with a God like that? How can we ignore him? How can we become so apathetic? How can we look at our problems and let them overwhelm us when we have a God that overwhelms the universe? is who God is. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet dedicated your life to be a follower of this Jesus. Well, the Bible says that we need to understand that we're a sinner. Anyone that's honest with themselves, it's pretty easy, right? I, I've 
messed up. I've failed over and over and over again. Said wicked things. I've thought wicked things. I've hurt people. I've been bitter. I've been angry. And because of that, the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That's a separation from God in a place called hell. But Jesus made a way for us to get to him. Through the cross and through the resurrection that happened three days later. When he rose from the grave, he broke the chains of sin and death forever and brought our salvation with him. Now, now the Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could call out to God right now. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's not just a thing to go through. It is a cry of your heart. God, forgive me for my sin. God, thank you for making a way. I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross as the only means of my salvation. God, save me. Why don't you do that right now? If you've never done that, or maybe you didn't understand, maybe you trusted in something else, why don't you call out to him right now? God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know what you did on the cross covered it, and I want to follow you with my life.